Anybody ever heard that before? God just wants you to be happy. We're going to chat about that today. But before we do, I just want to catch everybody up. We're going to start a brand new teaching series today. It's a little bit of a unique series in the sense that we're actually getting to partner up with another church within our uh, church planting network called the ARC, Association of Related Churches. Uh, we're going to team up together. And we're going to do this series together. You're actually going to hear, hear from their pastor during the series. So it's going to be uh, awesome, but uh, I want to tell you exactly why we're going to explore and spend four weeks exploring things God never said. Because when you think about coming to church, you often think about, well, let's find out what God did say. Yet here we are talking about all the things God never did say. And uh, I'll tell you why, because quite frankly, there are often things that you're going to hear in culture that are simply not true. They're spoken as things that God said, uh, and yet God never said those things, and they're quite dangerous in all reality. For example, you've maybe heard the old phrase that God helps those who help themselves, yet that's nowhere to be found in Scripture, and it's often, and, and it's very dangerous to think something like that, because you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm I'm helping myself, and God doesn't seem to be coming through for me. I thought God helped those who help themselves. Maybe you've heard uh, that uh, people say if you just have enough faith that you'll be healed from any disease. That can be dangerous because God never promised that. Maybe that disease is meant to bring something else about in your life. If you made the mistake, accidentally watched one of those charlatans on TV talking about, if you'll just give me money, God's going to bless you with a house and car and all these things. I need this money to fly this plane around the world and preach the gospel. God never said that. That's for sure. Never in the Bible. Believing any of those things is dangerous. So what made me believe we needed to spend four weeks exploring things God never said is a passage of scripture that I found uh, in John. So if you brought a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it, open it up to uh, the back of your Bible, a place called the New Testament. You can just look for some guy's names. It's going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, this is kind of our key passage here for this entire series, John 8, 31. It's the big eight, little 31. It reads, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's great news. Truth will set you free. That little word abide there, it's a Greek word in the original text. It literally translates to live in or to reside in. In. And, and, and what the author there in very real sense is saying is that if you'll live in your Bible, you'll know the truth who is Jesus and the truth will set you free. And it's amazing news. I want that for everybody to be set free, to not be burdened by anything, to not have anxiety and stress and a difficult life. That's really what God wants you to have, not be burdened by anything. It doesn't mean your life's going to be easy. It means with Jesus, it's gonna, he's going to be enough. And you'll be able to get through life. And so I want to spend four weeks talking about things that God never said so that we can know the truth. And the end of this four weeks, I hope you can be set free, so to speak. Now, when it comes to this idea of happiness, most people will tell you to trust your heart, right? Follow your gut. Do what makes you happy. God wouldn't have put that into your heart if he if something was wrong, right? Because God just wants you happy. 
So you need to follow your instincts. But watch this. This is why it's dangerous for you to trust your feelings. Because God never said that. Watch this. Uh, God just wants me happy. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Translation. You don't even know what's going to ultimately make you happy. Right? How many of you experienced that? You felt like you were going to make a decision because this thing was going to make you happy. Maybe it was an object, right? You needed that new phone, the new iPhone 18 or whatever is out now. It's going to make you happy. The PlayStation, the Xbox, the car, the shoes, those were going to make you happy. That new boyfriend, that new girlfriend, once you got in that relationship, they were going to make you happy. And what ultimately happened? Started to wane the enthusiasm right? It didn't make you happy because happiness can't be found in stuff or people. Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. God isn't as concerned with my happiness as he is my holiness. God's much more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. To say that God only wants me happy is to say something very dangerous because Ultimately, ultimately, what you're saying is in that moment is that God's job is to serve you. Who becomes God in that moment, right? Have you ever thought about that before? That To say that God only wants me happy is to treat God as some sort of cosmic vending machine. You do the things that you're supposed to do. You insert your dollar, and in return, God is supposed to give you treats, And ultimately, what happens is before long, you start worshiping the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. Because you think that's what's ultimately going to make you happy. Furthermore, if God just wants us happy, how do we explain suffering and discomfort? There's no room in the theology for happiness for things like delay or risk or pain or obstacles or inconveniences. Yet here's what we know for certain bad things happen often, how do we explain that if God's ultimate goal is for you to be happy? I just read a story the other day. Semi-truck crossed the semi-line, killed three small children and their parents. How do we explain that if God's goal is for us to be happy? What do we do with that? How do we explain wicked and evil and suffering and pain and all these things? For most people, they try and explain it this way. They say, well, I tried religion once, I went to church, I did some of the things that I was supposed to do, and God never came in it for me. You know, God failed me. And they reject all these things. That's why it's dangerous for us to say things that God never says. Why we have to understand God is more concerned with our holiness than He is our happiness. Let me show you this in Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 3.18. It reads, all of us, as all of us, reflect the Lord's glory with faces that are not covered with veils, we are being changed into His image with ever-increasing glory or holiness. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what it means to live a Spirit-led life, that the Holy Spirit literally takes up residence in your life and He's transforming you into the image of His Son. God's chief concern is to transform you, to make you more like Jesus. He's after your holiness, not necessarily your happiness. Now, don't get me wrong, because God absolutely delights in your happiness. 
It's, it's similar to you. If you have children and, and you get to see your kids and they do something fun and amazing and, and they really enjoy it, you as a parent, you enjoy those things as well. You delight in your kids' happiness. I can give you an example of this because this past fall, Laura talked me in to coaching my son's soccer team at the YMCA. Couldn't find enough coaches. She said, you could do it. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, right? I mean, it's soccer. How hard can it be? Kick the ball kick the ball again, you know, let's grab some snacks, head home, okay? Soccer, you know how I feel about soccer. Nonetheless, uh, coaching soccer for the boy, it's pretty cool for me because he likes it, okay? Uh, It's fun to see the kids out there uh, picking stuff up off the turf. They're certainly not playing soccer, I can promise you that, at this age. But the face when those kids score a goal, right? As a parent, seeing my son kick a goal, uh, the enjoyment and excitement he see or he has. I mean, that I delight in that as a parent. But let's run that scenario through. Leighton kicks a goal uh, against the other team, and he decides he's going to run in front of their bench and slide on his knees and start flipping them off and saying, yeah, man, right? Like suddenly I'm not concerned with his happiness in that moment, am I? Right? <laughs> I'm concerned with yanking that kid off the field and we're going to have a conversation that's not going to go well for him, okay? Right? I'm not concerned with his happiness in the moment. And sometimes a similar thing is true for you and God. When you're doing something that you shouldn't be, God's not concerned with your happiness. In fact, here's a couple ideas you might want to jot down. When is God not concerned with your happiness? Number one, when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. And we know we've all made those decisions before where we thought we were going to do something that was going to make us happy, but it was wrong or unwise. God does not want us happy in those moments. One of my favorite uh, desserts that my wife makes is a vanilla sheet cake. I used to be a chocolate man growing up, and then I tasted the vanilla, and I, I switched teams, okay? It's amazing. Yet there is like probably a pound of sugar in it, like a dozen eggs. I mean, it's not super healthy, but happiness for me is eating a piece of this vanilla sheet cake. But let's roll that out. And I decided to eat the entire pan of sheet cake. Aside from slipping into a diabetic coma and dying, it's unwise for me to do that. Okay? It's not necessarily sinful. There's nothing forbidding me in Scripture from eating an entire sheet cake. It's just dumb. Okay, There's a lot of things in life like that that aren't necessarily sinful or forbidden in Scripture, but they're unwise. God doesn't want you making decisions. And that's the problem in today's world. We like to identify our happiness within something that's fun. And, and we say, well, well, God would want me to do this because he wants me happy. But it, it's not true. Now, again, God might not have forbidden those things, but just because it's not for, forbidden doesn't mean it's smart to do it. Sometimes unwise is just as dumb as sin. And here's my point. Most people have denigrated a happiness to simply feeling better about themselves. Many people define happiness as feeling better about Myself, which here's the problem with that. If happiness is feeling better about myself, 
And the pursuit of happiness is my inalienable right as determined, you know, when I was in eighth grade and read the Declaration of Independence, I'm supposed to be able to pursue happiness to the best of my ability. If that's all true, then we'll go to any lengths to get there, to pursue our happiness. Yet let me assure you, God is not pleased by that. God is not pleased with the drug epidemic sweeping across this country. Just saw it in the news again this week in Newton. Three people killed around the idea of some of this stuff. God's not pleased that we've legalized murder of children in the name of convenience. God's not pleased by that. God is not pleased by the fact that the average American spends 108% of their income. It's not happy. It's not wise. God's absolutely abhorred by the fact that all over this world right now, women and young boys are being sold into prostitution for the sole reason of abusing their bodies through sex. God's not pleased by these things. Did you realize that from the uh, 1500s up until the mid-1850s when slavery was outlawed in this country, roughly 13 million Africans were stolen from their country of origin and brought here, and nobody disagrees that that was completely an atrocity within world history. And yet, right now, as we're sitting in here today, there are anywhere from 25 to 40 million women and young boys being trafficked across this world for sex. That's absurd. That is wrong. Yet, if the pursuit of happiness is all there is, then why is it wrong? Because it's about our feelings. It's absurd. Take a look at this, John fifteen ten. When you obey me, you are living in my love, just as I obey my Father and live in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your cup of joy will overflow. Jesus is reminding us that obeying God is not meant to be oppressive. God's not trying to keep anything from you. He's about you finding joy, your life overfilling with joy. It's only found, though, when you line yourself up with how God designed the world to work. God doesn't want you happy when your happiness causes you to be sinful and stupid or when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. Happiness cannot be found in those places. Here's another time when God doesn't want you happy, when it's only based on the things of this world. God doesn't want you happy when you're basing your happiness only on the things of this world. What I find borderline comical yet ironically tragic is that most people are convinced that better possessions or more peaceful circumstances or more thrilling experiences or fixing their physical physique or appearance, something like that, that that's what's going to make them happy. Yet, in my study this week, I found a guy named John Peter Barlow. You know, might know him if you're a, a fan of music. He was a lyricist for the Grateful Dead, but he's also an essayist. He wrote an interesting essay called The Pursuit of Emptiness. In this article, he chronicles how In the year 2000, for 11 months, he decided to start counting the number of spontaneous smiles he observed in an upscale organic supermarket in San Francisco. 
He records seeing thousands of faces, nearly all of them, quote, healthy, beautiful, and very expensively groomed. Yet he counted only seven smiles out of thousands of people. He writes that at least three of those were insincere. So only four spontaneous smiles. Isn't that remarkable? How the world would define most of these people that are healthy, beautiful, expensively groomed, rich, successful. I mean, this is kind of the American dream for these people and only four genuine smiles. Stunning. But it's my point. Happiness is the byproduct of aligning our lives with the way God designed the world to work, not necessarily the way the world is supposed to work. It's about single-minded faithfulness not simple-minded fun. That's where happiness is found, faithfulness to God. Let me show you this in your Bible. Take a look at 1 John 2.15. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I know I've said this before, but it's true. There is nothing you own right now or that you're currently seeking after that is not the stuff of future garage sales, auctions, or junkyards. Period. I mean, we search and seek after these things for our entire life. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that eventually we're just going to have to give it some moron in our family who didn't even work for it. That's what life is all about. Vanity, vanity. See, God's not after your happiness. He's after your joy. There's a huge difference. How often does happiness get taken away? And God says, no, I want something more than that for you. I want your joy. I want you to be overflowing with joy. Think about this. Jesus never asks his disciples as they're sitting around and he's teaching. He said, guys, are you having fun? Are you happy? Can we talk about your feelings here? We never see that in scripture. But listen to me. Jesus absolutely teaches about entering into the joy of his master. He teaches us how to find joy. And so with the, with the time left today, I want to talk to you about finding joy. But listen, before we do it, this doesn't mean that you'll never get sick or that you'll never lose a job or that everything's going to go your way. Finding joy does not mean that God's going to say yes to every one of your prayers or that you'll never lose a loved one. Joy is inextricably linked to your desires mirroring God's desires. Joy is found in Jesus and having hope and faith that God knows what he's doing, that somehow this is all going to make sense, that he's working behind the scenes. Again, it doesn't mean we understand it. It just means we have faith in God that somehow, some way. He's going to make this work for our good and His glory. That being said, I don't know how each one of you came in this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with. I know within 
this audience, we have people who are struggling in marriages. I know we have people that are struggling with addiction. I know we have people that are struggling with pornography. God doesn't want that for your life. Those are chains. It's burdens. God wants to set you free from those things. And he wants you to have joy in your life, but don't short your change, shortchange yourself and look only for happiness. So much more to life. This, this idea of happiness Christianity, it's solely a Christian, American Christian idea. It's nowhere found in Scripture. We're so feelings-based in this country, it's crazy. But shoot for joy, a joy that can't be taken away from you. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. What, what can you do on Monday that's going to make, because you came to church on Sunday, that's going to make a difference in your life? How can you find joy? Here's what you can do. Look at every problem from God's point of view. Look at every problem from God's point of view. You say, well, that's absurd, pastor. I'm not God. How am I going to do that? Well, let me give you a couple of ideas because I understand this is borderline impossible, but you know, God stands outside of time and he knows how everything's going to work. You know, I get that. But a couple things. First, God tells us in Romans that all things work together for good for those who love God are called according to his purpose. All things. Okay. And, and the author of, of that book, Paul, he, he's going to write in uh, another book of the Bible that says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus, which means God's not punishing you for anything. Okay, so when you step outside of your situation and you start looking at things from God's point of view, you see that God's not punishing you for anything, and he's trying to work this together for good. That's what I mean when I say you've got to get outside of time and start looking at things uh, from God's point of view. When I was in college, I got an opportunity to play basketball in Mexico, and I toured with an organization called Athletes in Action. It's actually a Christian organization. They tour the United States and play a lot of Division One college teams, and they go overseas, and they play professional teams over there, and uh, I got a chance to do that, and part of their ministry is either after a game or they'll, uh, in other countries, will do basketball camps for the kids and stuff like that, and we get to share the gospel of Jesus in those times and uh, after one of our, our stops, I got a chance to kind of give my testimony. Uh, looking back, it's probably one of the first times I ever preached, so to speak. But I was able to articulate through a translator to this uh, audience of people about how God rescued me from a life of just complete debauchery and things like alcohol and drugs and girls and all of these things. I got to share a little bit of my story and literally dozens and dozens of young men came forward at the end of that to accept Christ as their Savior, to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. So my point in telling you that is to say that, was God happy with the decisions I made as a young person? No, absolutely not. He was probably abhorred by that. But he was able to use it for good, to save people's souls. So again, I don't know what you're going through, but maybe God's going to use that as an encouragement to believers, or maybe he's going to use it as a witness for unbelievers, but God works things together for good for those who love him. You've got to step outside of your situation at some point. Start trying to see things from God's point of view. People are looking for hope. If you're a Christian, you get to offer that to them. You have the greatest news in the history of the world, that 
God wants to forgive your past and be with you in the present and give you a future of eternity. You can change people's lives. How you respond to life's difficult circumstances might make way more of an impact than when things are going well. Because here's what I know about my own life. When things are going pretty well, I have a very hard time focusing God, on God in those moments. It's kind of like I'm just living life. I'm, I'm doing this. God, hey, you know, thanks for being there. But man, when something bad happens, I guarantee you I'm on my face in prayer praying for God. You know, why is that? shouldn't be that way. We should always be focused on God. So this week, if things are going bad, start trying to get outside of your situation. Look at things from God's point of view. Explore what this looks like. You know, pray, God, what are you trying to teach me here? How can I use this for your glory? I want to see this from your perspective. It's not easy. I know it's not easy. But now you can have a new perspective of why you're in that cancer treatment center. Why those people are stuck with you in a room for hours because you're on dialysis. Or, or how you can view, you know, people and you know, if you drive Uber, you got these people stuck in your car and you're listening to Christian radio or something like that. I mean, I don't know what it looks like for you, but change your viewpoint. Figure out how you can use this situation for God's glory because joy is found there. Joy is found there. Here's the other thing that you can do. Number two, never let others control my attitude. If you're going to find joy, you can never let others control your attitude. I preached an entire sermon on this a while back called Stay Positive. You might remember me saying there are two types of people in this world. There are those who let their environment influence their enthusiasm, and then there are those who let their enthusiasm influence their environment. As Christians, we need to be the latter. We need to let our enthusiasm influence our environments. When we go to a supermarket, we need to have just spontaneous smiles. It'll freak people out. Have you ever noticed that? You just walk in and smile. They're like, man, what's wrong with that guy? He's happy. The people just aren't happy anymore for some reason. And joy can be found. It can change people's lives. Happiness is very much a choice. Joy is a choice. People aren't happy, and we need to change that. You know, I've often said that hurting people hurt people. Well, you can't allow hurt people to hurt you. You get to choose your response. You know, if you really thought about that, that's the only thing in life that really can't be taken from you, robbed from you, is your response to any situation. You can always choose to respond in joy. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Again, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying that's your choice. Happiness is a choice. Fascinating guy in the Bible named Paul and encourage you to do a study on him if you ever get a chance. He wrote a book of the Bible called Philippians, and it's uh, theologians call it the happiness book or a joy book. There's very a lot of joyful things found in there, and what's ironic is he wrote it while he was in prison. A happiness book in prison. Nobody thought that was funny. I thought that was funny. All right. Uh, but within this book of Philippians, he talks about four kinds of people that you've got to be aware of that are going to try and rob you of your joy. Check this out. This is Philippians 1.15. It's true that some preach Christ because they are jealous and quarrelsome, type 1. Others preach from genuine goodwill. These do so out of love, and they know God's given me the work of defending the gospel, type 2. Others preach Christ insincerely from a, self, a spirit of selfish ambition, kind of Three, others just want to stir up more trouble for me and add to my pain while I'm in prison. Four, four types of people. 
Paul says first. There's critics. There's going to be critics in life. He says these are the people that are jealous and quarrelsome. You know anybody like that? Okay, don't look at them right now if they're here next to you today. But they're critics. They want to criticize you. If you want to have joy in your life, you've got to identify the critics. You've got to know who those people are, and you can't allow them to bring you down and let this you know, criticism. You can't be offended by that. You've got to choose to know who they are and, and learn how to forgive it or ignore it. Okay, and then Paul says that there are those people who do things out of love. These are your friends. Okay, if you want to remember it, another C word, comrades. These are your comrades. These aren't critics. These are the good guys. These are the people you should absolutely listen to. These are people who genuinely care about you and your well-being. And if they try and correct you, you should listen to them because they have your best interest in mind. This is why I'm so passionate about you getting involved in a small group. You've got to have good people in your life that can help shape and steer your life in the direction God wants you to go. Got to have comrades that they'll help you find joy. And that third group of people, Paul says, these are competitors. They're selfish ambition. They're competing against you. They constantly have to one-up your stories. Whatever you've done, they've done something better. I'm sure you can think of people like that in your life. Do not let competitors rob you of your fun, happiness, or joy. You know, just tell them, okay, congratulations, but whatever it is. And here's the last one. You can see it there. Paul says, there are other people who want to stir up trouble for me, add to my pain. These are conspirators. Conspirators. Unfortunately, there are those people in life that are trying to conspire against you. And in today's world, it's not very hard. You know, social media, they can do a lot of crazy things out there because of that. But what Paul's really writing here is he's saying you've got to identify these people. And you've got to stick close to your friends and your comrades and get rid of the conspirators and the critics and the competitors. Man, don't waste time with those folks. Life is too short for that. You want to fill yourself up with joy. You can't allow people to rob you of that joy. Get rid of those folks. Find your friends. Be aware of these people. But the bottom line is you need to identify all these folks so you're not wasting your life, you know, going somewhere that leads nowhere. So, kind of land the plane this way. Happiness is never going to be found in the happenings of this earth. It's only found in the Lord. It's only found in lining yourself up with Him. But, it's really deeper than happiness. God wants something so much more for you than that. This is about blessing. This is about power. It's about His presence. It's an eternal calling. You've got to kind of lower your expectations of earth because you were not created for this earth. The Bible says you were created for heaven. We're all aliens on this planet. God says you were created for something better. God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something unwise or sinful. God doesn't want you happy when it's only based on the things of this earth. God is something far better for you. He wants you blessed. He wants you joyful. He wants you tapping into his goodness that no matter what, God's going to work everything together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. At the end of the day, God is much more concerned with your holiness than he is 
your happiness. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but if you'll do the things that God's told you to do, you'll find joy in that pace of life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and gather here and hear from your word. God, I just want to pray right now for each person here today, that they would not pursue happiness, but instead would pursue you. And in turn, you would give them joy. Byproduct of knowing you is this fullness of life that you promised us. I want to pray for each person today to find that. I want to pray a blessing over each person here today. I want to pray right now for those who have done what I've done way too many times and sought happiness and justified myself because I just felt like, well, it made me happy. God, I'm sorry for those things. And I pray that each person here today is as well. And I would pray, God, if you're convicting anybody right now in an area of sin or compromise, that they would repent of that sin. And they would seek you instead of seeking those temporary pleasures and comforts. God, I feel like there might be somebody here today who's contemplating divorce or something because they're simply not happy. I'd pray that you just give them hope right now, God. God, I'm burdened by those who are sick. Just pray for healing. Give them joy. Let them understand that you're going to work this out. We don't understand why they're sick, but God, I'm just praying that that you would heal them or speak to them in some capacity right now. Pray for restoration of relationships, people who have been hurt. God, I just ask that you speak in a powerful way to help them understand that happiness is not found in those things. It's only found in in you, not settle for anything less than you. Just ask that you supernaturally give us the ability not to be lured into loving this world, but into loving you. The joy of the Father would be in our hearts right now. God, I pray for our church, that we would be a place of joy, a place of healing, a place of restoration, a place where nobody's perfect and we're not trying to hide anything. We could be open and honest with one another and be a safe place for those who are hurt to come and worship you, hear you. Let's bless this community and the communities surrounding us, God. Pray for joy, everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's on me, guys. I didn't want anybody hearing me sing. If I get, you know, that's just horrible. You guys would have left right then. I promise you that. Hey, I hope today was helpful for you. Find joy. Man, I really have a passion for you to find joy in your life. C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying, this is kind of like an idea of uh, you fishing around in a muddy water puddle, finding happiness when the ocean is only feet away. And man, that's really what life's about. We're here on this earth trying to find this happiness and God's got something so much bigger and beautiful for you. And I really have a burn for you to find joy in your life in and through Jesus. So I hope today was helpful. Next week, you ever heard the idea that God won't give you more than you can handle? God never said that. We're going to talk about that next week. I hope you can be here and invite somebody with you. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and gather here today. Thank you for the men and women who uh, protect us and this country, giving us the freedom to worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.